bless the Lord, saints. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you very much. Amen. I want to bless a special someone here that has been helping make all of these outreaches so special. So, brothers, would you put up those pictures for us, please? Thank you, my brother. We have been doing some awesome outreaches this summer. This was yesterday at um, the west side there at Ohio Park. We were seeing deliverance, signs and wonders, and wonderful things. The children were preaching the gospel. We did face painting, gave out school supplies, which, by the way, we're going to be doing this Wednesday for the children and Friday for the youth. But I want you to stay just on this picture for me right here. There's something unique about this picture that I want to honor this person. It's the one taking the pictures. Yuli has been coming to all of our outreaches, taking pictures, going above and beyond, publishing them, uh, you know, editing them, honoring the Lord with this gift. Uh, Yuli, would you come here, brother? Can I give you a shirt just to say thank you? Brother, I just want you to know that you are who God says you are and that you can do all that he said he can, you can do. Amen? And I'm just going to put it over you like a little blankie for this one right here. Amen. Love you, man of God. Thank you all for coming out. It's always hard when you want to give a gift to someone. Why not give it to everybody? So our big thank you to all those who came out and have been coming out. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and say this with me, perfect in Christ. Amen. I think uh, we are, uh, thank you, my brother. I think we oftentimes in church believe things that are in the culture but not in the Bible. When you hear this statement going around, we're all beautifully broken, nobody is perfect, you're not hearing something from the Bible that a Christian should say. That is something we believe as sinners, but we believe as saints that we are changed and transformed, made into the image of Christ. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for a one-liner, here it is. As much as you were a sinner without Christ, you are a saint in Christ. Come on, somebody. There it is. As much as you were a sinner without Christ is as much as you are a saint in Christ. And the problem is many churches, many pastors, as good as they are, they're focusing on the commands of the Lord. They do not focus on the identity of the believer. And so if I were to ask you or to, uh, you know, to say, uh, to have you tell me what you've heard in other churches, if I said, have you been told you've been a sinner before in other churches? Have they pointed out your sin? Most of you would say, yeah, of course. We've been told we're sinners. There's no, none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You would rattle off those scriptures, and they're all true. How many know they're true? But if I said to you, how many of you believe you're perfect in Christ? How many believe that you're the righteousness of God? Most of you would look at, you, at me like you're looking at me right now. You're like, what? Oh, that's who I am? I didn't know that's who I was. I thought I was something else, like maybe still a sinner, but then maybe a saint. So I'm like a hybrid. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, anybody remember these things? Or uh, what, what we like to sometimes bring up here in Greek mythology, a centaur. Would you show them a picture of a centaur? Make sure it's appropriate because I don't want anybody stumbling here, okay? Because it's a man that's half man and half horse. 
You see, if I was to say then, now tell me the scriptures that let you know you're the righteousness of God. Tell me the scriptures that let you know that you're the perfect one in Christ. Most of you couldn't do it. Even in a great church like ours, especially in other ministries that don't do this because what we've forgotten in the body of Christ, it's not that it wasn't there, it's that we have forgotten to emphasize the dramatic transformation of a person in Christ. I don't know if anybody remembers the show Stargate, but there was a show called Stargate, and it was also a movie where you could come in from one dimension to another. And when you would transfer from one dimension to another, you would come through a gate. Everybody say Stargate. Thank you. I'm going to help you guys get caught up on sci-fi here, okay? And if you guys are so sanctified you don't watch movies, just pray for me, okay? But I can watch movies every now and then, and I can see spiritual meanings in them. Anybody else here can do that? Amen. God will speak to you through the movies and all that. Okay, this is what sometimes people think they are. Half person, half animal. As a Christian, they think, well, I'm half sinner and I'm half saint. Well, let me ask you this. When you were a sinner, were you a half a saint? No, you weren't. Come on, you would have went to hell. I mean, that, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what when we were just talking about Billy Graham? Isn't that what they taught us? You're a sinner. You need to be born again. You need the Romans road. You need the grace of God. Okay, well then what happens once I'm a sinner? Do I then become half sinner and half saint? No, I become a saint of God. I'm fully righteous in God. Now, this does not mean we, thank you, so we don't have to look at that gross image now. Uh, This doesn't mean that we don't still work on our character development, grow in Christ, learn how to act a certain way, and keep his commands. All of these things come as we are Christians, but they are not coming to change our nature. Your nature has already been changed. And so now going back to this example of Stargate, how many can understand what I'm saying? even though you haven't seen the movie, there was a gate they would walk through and it would take them to different planets, different dimensions, whatever. Are you guys tracking with me? Okay. You're either in or out of the gate. It's that simple. You're either in or out of the gate. If they start on planet Earth and they go through the gate and now they go to some other planet, are they on planet Earth anymore once they walk through the gate? No, they're on the next planet. They're on to the next thing. It's the same thing as you could say, beam me up, Scotty, you know, from Star Trek. When you get beamed, are you in two places? No, you're in one or the other. You see, when we read this passage, there is a positional statement given to you about where you are positionally. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Notice this position that you are in. It says, he is the one we proclaim. Paul is talking about this. He is preaching to them Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature or perfect in where? In where? In Christ. Now put that in the King James, please, so everybody can see what the word mature means. He then goes on to say, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Thank you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 in the King James. Notice that it says you are in somewhere. You are in Christ. That we may present every man perfect in where? Christ Jesus. Have you heard that language before, in Christ? Have you heard it before? You should have because it's all throughout the Bible. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is part two on a mini-series that we are going through in a second service, perfect in Christ. Somebody say perfect in Christ. 
Thank you. Now notice this location of this famous scripture. Notice where the people are. Therefore, if anyone is in the devil, just in their sin, in church, no, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Come, the old has gone, the new is here. So if I'm in Stargate, I leave where I once was, and I go to where I need to be. Does everybody get that? If I'm being beamed up, I'm leaving where I once was, going to where I need to be. Well, where was I in positionally before Christ? I was in my sins and transgressions. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Notice the language of position. It's not both and. It's not I'm a sinner and a saint. It's an either or. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Some lessons in the Bible are both and. I am seated in heavenly places both and sitting down in a chair with you or standing up today. Does everybody get that? Okay, there are both ands in scriptures, and let me just take a seat so I can make it very literal. I am seated in Christ, and I'm seated at Metro Price. That's a both and. How am I seated in Christ? I am seated in Christ because the Holy Spirit is with me, and where he is, I am. If he is in the presence of God right now, I can have that same connection that he can have. That doesn't mean that I'm in two places at the same time. It's just because of his presence, his Wi-Fi connection, he is bringing me to a place that I couldn't go on my own. So where he is, I am. And where I am, he is if we are in each other. I am in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in me. Does everybody agree with that? Don't get it complicated. It's not meant to, you know, freak you out. God is inside of you and God is not limited to the space and time that you and I are in. So if God is able to be in his presence or the Holy Spirit to be in the Father and Son's presence and also in us, then we are participating in that. Okay, but now look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in, somebody say in, in those who are disobedient. Do you notice here that what you were in was your transgression? You were in your sins. You were in the death penalty of that sin. If you had not been born again or, had, you know, if you uh, had died and you hadn't been born again, you would go to hell because you were in your transgressions and sins. But are you there anymore? Not according to the Bible. Look at verse 3. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. That's the sinful nature, as you'll hear in just a little bit. And following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature, so by nature deserving of wrath, as the rap group was named, naughty by nature. Anybody ever heard of them? And they were proud of it that they were naughty by nature. But the Bible says you shouldn't be proud of your naughty nature. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Somebody say, with Christ. Wow, you mean I've been made alive with Christ? Yeah, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, it is by grace you have been saved. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> but the Bible says it did. It says, when Christ was raised, the day I came to Jesus to confess my sins, I was raised with him at that point. 
The best explanation we have is time travel. No, I'm half kidding here. The best explanation we have is that in Christ, he knew I would be in uh, at his resurrection, he knew I would be in him the day I got saved, November of. Uh, 5th, 1995. And so he had me there with him in his heart and mind while he was being raised. That's our best explanation. But boy, if you're really trying to go word for word here, it doesn't get smaller in understanding. It actually gets more grandiose. It says we were made alive with Christ. So somehow God, when he was resurrecting Jesus and he was coming from the dead, we were there with him in some sense. But notice this. It keeps going. Verse 6. And God raised, notice past tense language here, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in where? The heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. I mean, I could keep reading, but this is a place that we need to understand. The place of the believer in Christ, no longer in sin. When we just read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, we are told that we are to be presented perfect in Christ. Please go back to that, Colossians 1, 28. So the Christian is not trying to achieve perfection. The Christian is remaining in perfection. Do you see the difference? If you're thinking to yourself, I have to achieve something called perfect, you'll never make it there, dude perfect. You'll never get there, dude. Perfect. Do you all get it? You're not going to become dude perfect. You'll never will, dude. That's a, that's a YouTube show for kids, dude perfect, because they always make these shots, but they take a thousand uh, you know, misses before they get it. Your life is not as a Christian trying to make a thousand shots and then one day you get it. That's not Christianity. Christianity isn't trying to do perfect so that you can be perfect. It starts at the finish line. Christianity actually starts with you and I being made perfect. And let's just think about it. I mean, wouldn't God just be like, like that, like that kind of God to do that, like the rebirth to make it perfect? Because when he first made us as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, how were we made then? Perfect. So if he's going to start us over and we're going to get born again, why would we get born again as that nasty centaur? That, that doesn't really, like, fit his modus operandi, his mode of operation, does it? It sounds like when he's into the creation business, Jesus likes to do things perfect. So if he's going to say to sinners, be born again, why would the born-again nature start off imperfect? It wouldn't. It would start off perfect. Now, sometimes people go, well, that's why children are perfect. Sadly, no, they're not. And as they grow up, we know that, that most of the time they're vipers and diapers, as one preacher said. Uh, we learn really quick that they have a tendency towards sin. It's actually that we're not teaching them to lie. We're teaching them not to lie. Have you ever noticed that with children? You're teaching them not to do things because they already have that naturally, and you're teaching them to do things that's going against their nature. Let me just ask parents here. Is it to the children's nature to share, or is it to say mine? mind, right? That, that's in the nature of a child. Now I always got to say this caveat here because people often ask, well, what happens if the 
on uh, the imperfect sinful child dies and they, you know, their children, what happens? And the Bible is clear that it's not a heaven or hell issue for them. The kingdom of God belongs to them. We have to wonder about their judgment because they haven't been able to have an age of accountability, make a decision, and choose Christ. I also think that grace goes to others who have not heard the gospel. So sometimes people want to kind of put us into a debate with the scriptures. Does the scripture make a way for those who are children, handicapped, or haven't heard the gospel? And I believe it does. Jesus said, to them belongs the kingdom of God. Let the children come to me. So I don't have to be concerned about a child being raised in India, dying at eight years old for, because of starvation, and then going to hell or something. Like, like, you don't have to worry about that. The God of heaven and earth is a good judge. Amen? And you don't have to wonder about you know 500 years ago in any one of our people groups where we we came from, whether it's in Europe, the, you know, the people living out there in the islands of, uh, you know, Ireland or the Goths or the Romans, or if, if people have not heard the gospel, how can you hold them accountable to it? And so uh, that's what we believe here. Now, however you see that, that's up to you. So those big questions shouldn't be in our mind when we're going through this. That, that's not Paul's um, mode here in teaching us the perfection in Christ is to think about all these exceptions to the rule. What he's wanting us to see is this is the default. Somebody say default. Thank you. The default is what it was made for. What was a new person in Christ made for? Look at what we were made for. We were made for perfection. What was the point of you being born again? If you have to get born again, 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 and again, again, you know, then you're, you're not doing something right. That wasn't the point. The point wasn't for you to be on a merry-go-round of always asking Jesus to forgive you while there's no change in your life. Like, oh, okay, God, I'm a Christian now, and I realize I shouldn't you know, swear or take your name in vain. I'm so sorry that I did that. But sometimes people get me so mad, and it just slips out. Oh, I did it again. Oh, God, would you please forgive me for taking your name in vain? I know that I'm not supposed to take your name in vain. Oh, that they're making me mad again. I'm taking your name in vain. Oh, forgive me, God. That's not the Christian race. The Christian race is not on a gerbil wheel. It's just spinning, okay? The Christian race is not on a treadmill. The Christian race is an actual race with a start and a finish. You're supposed to be moving forward, going from glory to glory to glory. But guess what? How you start the race? You start at already a winner, you see, now you're running the race not to win the prize of salvation. You're wanting to win the prize of pleasing God in your salvation. At the end of the race, you're not getting salvation. You have salvation now. If you're a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, you have it now. What are you getting at the end of the race? The rewards, the well done, the applause for what you did as a Christian. But truly you are a Christian now. Otherwise, it wouldn't be Jesus is your Savior. Death would be your Savior. So then you would have to say death is Lord. It wouldn't be Jesus because what are you waiting for? You're waiting to die so that you can be saved. No, death is not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. The only thing that does is take you out of this body into the presence of the Lord so that you can get a new resurrected body. All you're doing as a soul is changing location. You're changing from a body to the presence of the Lord. And then you're not even just meant to be up there disembodied without a body. You're there waiting for Christ to come back, give you the new body, the upgraded body to match your new soul. 
Guess what the sinner gets? The same kind of a body, but one that then lasts forever, one for destruction, like one they had here that could be full of torment and pain and all of those things. They get that kind of body, but now instead of it dying, living only one life, it now goes on for eternity. So there's a body fit for destruction that will go on for eternity, and then there's a body that's fit for glory that goes on for eternity. So everyone's soul is immortal. But what happens to our soul here on this earth it depends, uh, shows what happens in eternity. That's the difference. If I want to live twice, I get born again now, so I've been, I'm alive, and then I get born again, now I get to live twice, and my second body, I never die. Is everybody listening to me? And I've said this before, and we have guests, and we're preaching the gospel to them. Or I can die twice, die in this body, not have Jesus, and then be in an eternal death state. That is what the lake of fire is. It's the eternal death. Go to Revelation chapter 20, please. It's called the second death, and it never ends. How many want the second life that never ends? Come on. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation, oh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, all liars, they will be consumed to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second what? Second death. Amen. Now, if you go up to Revelation chapter 20, where I was talking about there, Revelation chapter 20 is those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they get to have heaven. So look at chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great throne, and the one who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place to hide them. I saw the, the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and the books were open. Somebody say books. That's plural. That's going to be the books of people's works. And it says another book was open, which is the book of what? The book of life. And then it says the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the what? The books. But how many books of life are there? One, and it's the name of those who have believed in Christ. You know, it's our names there. So it's like this. Either you want to come into Christ and receive what Christ has for you and have it be given as a gift, or you will then receive what your works deserve. So the gift of God is eternal life. We can't earn it. We can receive it, and it's simply then those who have received that gift get eternal life. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. So that's the difference there. But if someone doesn't do that, if they knowingly reject this, if they turn their back from God, then they get the second death. Do you want a second life or a second death? Second life. Thank you. Now, going back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Notice what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that this is what he preaches. This is who we preach and the way we preach it. Whom we preach. Talking about Jesus. Warning every man. What is the warning there for? Because not every person is going to get the second life. Does everybody get that? I want to take my time today. I really do. Because otherwise, if everybody goes to heaven, what is he warning them about? Sometimes people mistake the grace of God with universalism, that everyone gets to go to heaven eventually. That is not true. Otherwise, there would be no warning. There would only be the grace and mercy of God. Hey, it's okay. If you don't get it in this life, you'll get it in the next one you're reincarnated in. Or you know what? If you don't get it now, when you die, you'll go to purgatory for a little bit, and then you can come out of purgatory. That, that would be the message of the Bible. Does the Bible sound like that? No, it sounds a lot more serious than that, doesn't it? Why is it the most loving person we know, Jesus, spoke more about hell than he did heaven? 
Because he loves us. And he wants to warn us where the life of sin leads. Okay? So he's preaching this. He's warning every person, teaching every man in all wisdom. So this is the wisdom of this. Now notice this. What does he then say? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So what is his goal? His goal as, a, as an apostle pastoring and leading this church is that when he goes to heaven, he can present the people like TJ in his life, that he can present them to Christ perfect. He is not expecting those that he has in his life like I do TJ, he is not expecting them to be perfected then. He's expecting them to be presented perfect at that moment. Does everybody get it? So he's presenting someone that's already perfect. Boy, Paul sure had high expectations. <laughs> well, that's why he has the next verse there, 29. Whereunto I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Well, Paul, so does that mean you're just a perfectionist, Paul? And so whenever somebody had a mistake, you're just like, okay, make sure you get rid of that because i got to present you perfect. Almost like parents getting their children ready for church or for school or, you know, something like that or family pictures. Everything's got to be perfect. And so uh, is Paul kind of this external, superficial, you know, looking at people as a perfectionist? No, that's not what he's doing. He's actually taking the exact opposite approach. He's doing it the exact opposite of what religion would have you do. Religion would have you work on all the things on the external. But you see, Paul already knows that Jesus called those kind of people whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you got a bunch of dead men's bones. So Paul knows, as we read last week in Romans 7, that the law can't perfect anybody. Just looking at my children over and over and over again and saying, don't do this, don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that, doesn't inspire them or motivate them and help them to do the right thing. Some of you were brought up in families like that where it might have been good what you were told, but how you were told, it was not good, and it led to you feeling the weight of your mistakes and condemnation and guilt. Instead of being empowered to do those things that you should have been doing, you know, the right thing. I'm sure some of those things were right, but you weren't told how to do them. It was just brute obedience. Do it because it's right. For goodness sake. That's not how the Bible talks. The Bible talks about us being prepared as workmanship of God to do the good works. In other words, how many people here have a car that could get up to 200, 225 miles an hour? No, not many of us, right? Hardly none of us, right? So if I said to you, get out there and drive 225 miles an hour or else, you know, kind of the opposite of safe driving, just track with me on this example, you, you, you would say in unison, I can't, Pastor Joe, why would you even ask me that or else, you know, uh, who are you? I, I don't even have a car that can go 100. What are you talking about? But how many know when a coach who's over his driver in Formula One racing or the Indy 500 looks at that guy and says, you better drive 200 plus miles an hour if you want to win this. But what's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is, is that the coach knows they got the capability. See, the one coaching, the one in the, in the race knows, hey, you got the car that can go 200 miles an hour. I know you can. There's no excuse. So now if I gave you a car or we did what some of these cool cats get to do, go rent one for a weekend, you know, and I said go and do it, could you do it? If you wanted to, you could. You would have to get over probably your fear, but you could. How many know you could? If you had a Ferrari or if you had one of those Formula One racing cars, you could. 
And you see, this is the problem with most people in Christianity. I know some dudes definitely not only could, but would, and they would do it very fast. (laughs) But here's the deal. Everybody track, because we're going to get it today. God says you can live without sin, and we're sitting here arguing back with God. We're dealing with our own fears, just like as if I said to you, go drive 200 miles an hour. Go do it. Let's just say there was no danger involved. Let's say that the track was straight, the conditions were perfect, uh, that they gave you a lesson on how to hold the wheels and that you would, uh, you know, the steering wheel, and you would be just as safe going 200 miles as you would 50 miles, okay? Let's say it could still be that safe. Say you could have no risk of even getting harmed. Still, some of you wouldn't do it because of your fear, your lack of confidence. Some of you don't get on roller coasters, and you know you're not going to die there. At least you shouldn't. 99% of the time, people don't, right? But you still don't want to do it. Why? Because we have fears. We have something, think about this, we have something in our mindset that is different than the ability question. The mindset is what's holding us back, not the ability. You could go right into the roller coaster right now. There are some roller coasters that will take you zero to 100. You know, whatever, in a few seconds. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to have any skill. All you have to do is just be willing to sit down there. But there are people who won't do it. And it has nothing to do with their ability. It's not a question of can you go from zero to 102 seconds and, and flow yourself up in the air 200, mile, uh, uh, 200 feet and flip over. It has nothing to do with that. It's just the willingness to go sit on that coaster and go for a ride. And that's what Christianity hangs up a lot of people on it right there is do you want to go for the ride? It's not do you or can you do perfect, dude. It's not can you be dude perfect because all of us would have to say, I can't do that on my own. Of course I can. God, God, why would you ask me to do that? See, a lot of times people think that God's asking them to run, you know, to, to, to get into that race and go 200 miles an hour. And they're sitting here going, I drive a Honda Civic, God. Like some of you think God is saying don't lust, and then you look at your life and you're saying, man, there's no way I'm not lusting, God. Why are you even asking me that? And then so then people try on their own. It doesn't work. And then they get discouraged, and then they hear somebody like me that says, I haven't looked at pornography since 96, and they go, boy, you lying. I bet you still do it. Or, or I say, I haven't said a swear word since, you know, 95, and all of these things I got testimonies on. They go, oh, that can't be true. That can't be true. Once again, it's just like somebody saying, oh, there's no way you're going 200 miles an hour. There's no way. Well, you're right. I'm not going 200 miles in a Civic. And by the way, I don't think they really can anyway, even though somebody might differ because I hear some of these mufflers around here. (laughs) When you look around, it's like this old Civic. But I don't know about 200 miles an hour in one of those things. It might fall apart. But you know what? I do go 200 miles an hour. If someone says, oh, I do, well, then you might want to ask them, how do you go 200 miles an hour? Do you, go at it, do, you, do you do it in a Civic like me? No, no, no. no. I, I don't do it in a Civic. I do it in a Porsche. I do it in a Lamborghini. I do it in a Formula One. I do it in an Indy 500 car. I do it, I do it in a NASCAR car. You see, if you're asking me, well, Joe, how have you been out of sin? How have, you, have you done it like me, Joe? Have, no, no, no. I don't do it like you. I do it in Christ. I do it in Jesus. I'm in a different dimension. I'm in a different gate or, or at a different location. I've crossed through something. And that's all pastors and leaders and elders and deacons are supposed to be. It's people who have gone through the other side of the gate, and we're supposed to lead by example. Amen? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I got, this is review, and then we've got some new things to go through. How many are ready to get to some new goodies? Amen, amen. Go to Ephesians 2. I just want to remind everybody here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? 
to do good works. Put that in the race car example. We are God's race car driver made to go 200 plus miles an hour. Put it in the roller coaster example. We are in God's amusement park, I'm meant to scream our heads off going 100 miles an hour, however fast TJ and I were going. <laughs> Six flags. We're meant to do that. That's what we were meant to do. You and I are God's handiwork. Please show that in the King James. There's different versions helping you here with the wording. In the King James, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is going to give you a different word other than handiwork. I don't want to spoil it, so I'll wait for us to get there. Ephesians 2.10. Notice what this says. For we are his what? Workmanship. That means he has worked on us. He has made us as he wants us to be. Now notice this. We are created in Christ Jesus. Past tense. I am not waiting for Christ Jesus to create something in me. When I become a Christian, I am now operating in that which has already been created. I got one little nice amen from the front row. Thank you, sister. Can I get an amen from that? Come on, church. Keep up with the amens. It'll help you today. It's okay if you don't. It's okay. But I, I do want to hear it every now and then because I want to know, do you get this? The, the greatest thing I can ever do for you as a pastor is help you understand this. Because if I don't, Christianity is going to look a lot different for you. And there are good pastors that love people. They really do. But they don't show you what Christianity was meant to look like. They're driving you in the Civic, but they haven't taken you to the garage yet and shown you the Formula One. And I want to show you the Formula One. I want to show you the NASCAR. I do. I want to show you what as I talked about last week, has been forgotten by generations in, in our modern times, but was known in times past. That beauty of knowing who you were in Christ. You see, because we've been brought up so uh, used to hearing the message, we're saved by grace through faith, you know, John 3.16, that we forget what it was like, I believe, for these Jews to hear it the first time. You see, a Jewish person in the context of Paul's day and in the time of Jesus really felt like they had to do good works to be saved. Like they really believed that. And so when this language was coming out to them, the in Christ language, the being completed in Christ, perfect, mature, the handiwork, the workmanship, when they heard that, that was everything to them. It didn't, want them to, it didn't make them want to be lazy. It made them want to work all the more for God. Because they were made to work for God. Notice how it says it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto what? Good works. Now watch this. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now this example of the race car gets super clear, doesn't it? It's like imagine if I said to you there's no way to fail. You're only going to succeed. The work has been set out for you, and then you still refuse to do it. What if I then said the race car, let's take it to one more level. Let's say the race car was going to save you because standing behind us was a fire that was going to consume us. And now you still refuse to get in the race car to do the good work of 200 plus miles an hour, and you perish. That's really what we're learning here, isn't it? Those who perish, is it God's fault or their fault? According to the Bible. According to the Bible, it's their fault, isn't it? Get the illustration. Let's just go with this for a minute here. The fire's coming. It's going to consume you. 2012, anybody watch that movie? 
Yeah, anybody watch it? And there's a part there where everything's falling apart all around him, and he's driving in his limo, and he just keeps, you know, getting to the next thing. But if he were to stop for one second, he would fall off into that cliff, get, you know, get caught up in an explosion. I mean, I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but it's quite, you know, a, a, you know what they call white knuckle. You go through it like, is this guy going to make it, you know? But guess what? He has to keep moving. If he were to stop, it would be his fault he gets consumed. If someone in his car said, Dad, let me out, because, you know, he's doing it for his kids, let me out, he would get consumed. The Bible calls this a good race. You are supposed to run this good race by faith, and you are not supposed to ask to get out, to stop running. You are to continue to move forward. What is backsliding? To go back to that which God took you out of. The backslider is in a place right at that moment where they may still go to heaven if they were to die, but God is warning them that if they stay there, they could go to hell. So there are backsliders in the Bible like David. Like David, he had an adulterous affair. He has sex with, you know, the, the woman of a, of a man that worked in his military, and then he has that man killed, and he lies about it. And David in Psalm 51 is a backslider on his way to hell if he doesn't repent and make it right. He was within moments of hell. That's what he's talking about. He says, God, don't take your spirit from, from me. You know, restore unto me a right heart. Give me the joy of salvation. Then I'll go out there and teach sinners your way. And so sometimes people say, well, I'm just going to try to, you know, walk this line as close as I can to the world and still go to heaven. I want to be as close as I can to heaven and still be on this earth. Amen? Sometimes they say, well, don't be so heavenly minded. You'll be of no earthly good. I want to be so heavenly minded. I change the earth for good. So does it, now let me just ask you this. That was the introduction. But do you think that the Bible just stops there with what we would call idealism? No, it gets into practicality, doesn't it? Are you ready for the practical understanding? That's today's lesson. That was reviewed. Thank you for your time. Come on. Let's go to 1 John now. Amen. I hope you receive it and you're going to live it out. Now go to 1 John. Some practical things are going to be given to us as well as 2 Peter today. Let's see if we can get into both. But I have about five scriptures that I want to give you from 1 John that are going to give you some practicals. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The first thing that John wants you to know about this is going to come out right here, and it's going to be so clear that no one can miss it. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not what? Sin. Thank you. Did he make his intention known to us? That's really clear, isn't it? Oh, there it is. Okay, John, why, why are you writing me this letter? I write this to you that you don't sin and blow it. Stop living like the fool. Mr. T said, I pity the what? I pity the fool. So stop being a foolish person. Live according to the wisdom of God. I am writing this to you that sin will not be your default. So right there, you have left most K-Love songs that talk about you being beautifully broken, tore up from the floor up, you know, life's terrible, and, and, and K-Love is going to tell you that you're just loved by God, and that's good enough. And I tease K-Love for that because that's what I hear a lot of times when I listen to the radio. They do have a few more that are coming out now that are more faith-based, but a lot of them talk about you being a miserable Christian down on yourself, and Jesus just comes at the last minute to be your, your knight in shining armor. That's not how you're supposed to live your Christian life. You're supposed to live your Christian life like Jesus, with Jesus, and out there changing the world for Jesus. Can I say that again? You're supposed to live like Jesus, with Jesus, and changing the world for Jesus. You're not supposed to look back at the Bible and go, I'm just the woman with the issue of blood. 
I'm just dead Lazarus needing to be raised. I've listened to these preachers for years and years and years talking about your old breakthrough. Some of you, like the woman with the issue of blood, just need to touch Jesus. My question is, when do I finally touch him? Some of you, like Lazarus, going to get raised from the dead. When do I get to be raised and live raised? If you listen to the conference speakers, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Friday, you start off as the blind man, and you got to get your sight, and that's a powerful message. And then the next day, now you're the woman with the issue of blood. And then the next day, now you're dead Lazarus. So at the end of the conference, you blind, bleeding, and dead. When do I stop being blind? When do I stop bleeding? In Jesus' name, amen. When do I get to be like Lazarus alive the next day? When do I get to start off my day being okay in Jesus' name? I want to see myself as Jesus in the story. After I got saved, the one that I'm looking at as the example is Jesus, not the blind, not the bleeding, not the dead person. That's the one now I'm helping like Jesus. Oh, come on, somebody. It got quiet there. I said, that's the one I'm helping like Jesus. You don't see Paul, just look at the New Testament. You don't see Paul go back to the narratives of Jesus and say, hey, guys, uh, you know, please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first verse is there. He doesn't write to the Corinthians and go, hey, Corinthians, you guys are a bunch of blind, bleeding, dead people. I'm about ready to preach you your breakthrough, about ready to help you out. I got my conference coming your way, breakthrough 2.0. No, look at how he talks to them. He introduces himself as always, but in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Woo! Man, I just got motivated. Paul, man, thank you for reminding me who I am. And put it in, we're going back and forth to the King James, my brother. Holy people, what does that mean in the King James? Saints. He said to them, you are the saints of Corinth, called to be saints. Man, that just makes your back get a little bit stiffer. That makes me want to go to the gym and put 300 pounds on the bench, man. Come on. Mm, I'm a saint, baby. I want to go squat a thousand pounds, man. I want to. I want this to be how I think of myself every day, even when I don't feel like it, because it encourages me. Do you notice how he spoke to them? He lifted them up. He told them who they were, what was expected of them, was possible. So going back to First John, number one, number one, you've got to understand your identity, and your identity is not a sinner; it's a saint. First John chapter two, verse one is: This is your default not to sin. So the idea isn't sin maintenance. You're not here on a sin diet. You are a vegan when it comes to sin. Amen? You're not just trying to cut out a little bit of it. You've got it all out in Jesus' name. Now, the next question, or the next verse, or the next part of the verse is exactly the question that we all feel naturally afterwards. And I'm so glad he addressed it because it's real. It's realistic. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So in this perfection that God has given you, if you don't act like it, it's okay because you can be forgiven. He, talking about Jesus, verse 2, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen? So we still can be forgiven. 
Just like the sinner can be forgiven, I'm going to be forgiven as a Christian. As a matter of fact, the Christian receiving forgiveness is a privilege. The sinner does not deserve it. They have to make Jesus their Lord to get it. Are you guys tracking? But the Christian already has it. But it's not to be abused. It's there to help you out. How many know everybody here has rags to clean up messes in their house, okay? But how many know you don't want people to make a mess? Like, do you want me to come to your house and use the bathroom wherever I want, like an animal? And then go, well, after all, you got rags and Clorox around here, don't you? Right? Come on. I mean, let's just be honest. It's a silly example to imagine a person doing that, but let's put it in the context of sin. Well, I'm just going to sin because I know there's the blood of Jesus that will just clean it up. That is not the way you're to think. Just as if someone would come in and say, well, I'll just use the bathroom wherever I want, stink up the whole place however I want, because you do have rags and Clorox here, right? I mean, that shouldn't be a problem for you. The grace of God is not just to help you be forgiven of sins, but to empower you not to sin at all. We are to look at sin as something we never want to do. We don't want to flirt with it. We don't wish we could secretly do it. It's something we know is not us. It's not who we are anymore. It's not our default. Our default is in Christ. Our default is being a new creation. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and we'll come right back to this. Just to remind you of that scripture I read to you last week, because it's so important. He, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God said to Jesus, Jesus, you become what they are, and I'll accept that as a sacrifice. In exchange, Jesus, for you becoming what they are, I will make them what you are. That is, man, that's some of the most beautiful language you'll ever hear in your life. For all of eternity, we'll be meditating on that phrase. Jesus became what I was so that I could become what he is. Now, some would say, how did he become sin? He became sin as a sin offering and sacrifice. He actually did not sin. Todd White got himself in some trouble and tried to uh, analyze this from that point of view, like Jesus did heroin and these different things, and he clarified his point with Dr. Michael Brown. But it is clear that Jesus became a sin offering, not sin itself. And I thank God for Todd White still preaching this, even though he's working it out. And there's a lot of good preachers that are. And I'm spending my life doing this. My doctor was actually on this because it's so important we understand the difference. Jesus didn't become a sinner. He took sin for us so that we now can become a saint like him. He didn't do the drugs I did. He didn't have the sex that I had outside of marriage. He didn't be a part of that, though I understand where someone might see this at their first glance because it says Jesus became sin, but that's not what it means. As one teen challenge poster had, when a man was injecting himself in drugs, it was going in Jesus' arm. That's not true, though it may feel like that because of what we go through and Jesus watches us and understands our pain. Jesus never sinned. Can I hear an amen to that? But Jesus became sin in the sin offering sense, as an offering. There was a sin offering given as a sacrifice, the Passover lamb. Just make sure I'm being clear there. But do you notice he became, now that we got past the details. He became what I was that I could become what he is. Did you see that there? He became sin. Why? So that I might become what? The righteousness of God. 
Can you get any more righteous than Jesus? Can you get any more Christ-like than Christ? No. So if you've got Christ in you as the righteousness of God, do you need any more righteousness? Do you need another prophet named Joseph Smith? Do you need to go to another conference? No, if you do anything even in Christianity, you do it from the point of view that you're complete in him. Let me just show you again because I got some people looking at me going, I'm not sure. Go to Colossians. Go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. How full, of you, how full are you of God? And I'm not asking you, are you full of it today in the negative sense? I'm asking you, how full of God, how full are you of God today? Are you half full? 20% full? 75% full? How full are you of God today according to the Bible? Somebody say 100%. Say my tank's on full. Come on, you're not, your tank's not on empty today if you're a Christian. Look at it right here. For in him, or in Christ, all the fullness of the, dwelleth, uh, the deity lives in bodily form. So when Jesus was God in the flesh, how much of God was in Jesus? Come on, somebody say all. All the what? All the fullness. For in Christ, how much of the deity was in him? All the fullness. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? Fullness. That should get you excited. As much of divinity was in Jesus is as much of Jesus is in you. We're lacking no good thing. We're lacking nothing. Nothing is missing. You are complete in Christ. You are whole in Christ. Hallelujah. You are perfect in Christ. You are God's masterpiece. Do you believe it? Because that's going to determine, thank you for the amens. I, I sense God is speaking to many of you here, but I'm asking you that because that is going to be, step one is always going to be the hardest step. Just like they say in Alcoholics Anonymous is admitting you're a drunkard and an alcoholic is the hardest. In Christianity, the hardest is believing you are who God says you are. That's the hardest thing. Because once I can get you to believe you are who God says you are, I can get you to believe you can do what he says you can do. It's the hardest part, though, for me as a pastor is to get you all to believe you are who God said you are. That's why I'm taking my time even just on step one, is that you have to understand when the apostles are writing to you, when they're writing to the church, they are not trying to make you a new person or have you work on yourself or do better along your journey to, to, to stop doing this and start doing that. That is not how they're communicating with you. This is not a self-help program. How they are communicating to you as conquerors, as those who are perfect in Christ, filled with the fullness of God. They are communicating, as we learned with Paul, they are talking to people who they literally believe are sanctified saints made perfect in Christ. Because if you don't understand that, you don't know the next parts that they're talking about. Why does he tell them to get away from sin? Why does he tell them to, to not do the deeds of the flesh? Because he thinks the more they try, the more they work at it, the better they'll be. No, because they've already been made able to do those things. That's why if you look at it from the examples that I've been giving you as a race car driver, the, the ones writing to you are the ones believing that you already got the Lamborghini parked in the garage. And now you go 200 miles an hour. And at 200 miles an hour, you don't go into a ditch. And then at th That's how the epistles are written. Now that you are sanctified and perfect in Christ, now you consider your flesh crucified. Well, try to consider your, your flesh crucified without believing you're already saved, without believing that you've already been crucified with Christ because of what he did. How are you now going to count yourself dead? It would be impossible. 
It would be like you trying to renovate yourself while yourself is broken. Can a broken computer fix itself? Can a dirty person clean themselves? No, unless they bring in something from the outside. But if, let's say, you have tar, it's on you, and it doesn't come off unless you have somebody else with a, a, a cure or something. You can't clean yourself. You can't give yourself a heart transplant, a brain transplant. So why, let me ask you this, why do Christians try to change themselves? Why are they using the same exact language of Oprah? Why is it when I hear about this sister, this dear sister that I do hope the best for her, that Lauren shared on his Facebook, he was uh, in our first service, that, that she went through all of these dark times in her life and all of these problems. Why is it when this woman shares her solution to the problem, therapy, meditation, and taking quiet walks with a therapy dog, why is that her answer as a Christian? Because as a Christian, you're not supposed to have the same methods and means and steps to success as a non-Christian. It is literally supposed to be as different for us as it would be from a Civic to a Lamborghini. When I got off alcohol and drugs, it was not like the 12-step program. It was one step to Jesus Christ, and I have never done them again since. Do you think that Alcoholics Anonymous can relate to that? They have people that have been going to that program for 20 years who still do it. I got saved and sanctified the first day. Well, that's good for you, Pastor. No, it's not just good for me. It's good for everybody. It's good for you. If you work the Word, the Word will work for you. I'm telling you, and I have nothing against counselors or even AA. If it's helping, let it help you. But there is something that will help you get out of you needing help all the time. There's something that can help your helper, too. I always tell this to the counselor. I want to counsel the counselor. I want Dr. Phil to sit on my couch. Amen? I want to give Steve Harvey advice. Not because I'm any better. I'm just saying I got the answer. My doctor needs Dr. Jesus. I don't say that to be prideful. I say it to be honest. The stats are on our side. The Christians live a better life. We have a healthier marriage, even a better sex life. They interviewed folks on these questions. We live longer lives. We're a happy people. We need to stop compromising and going back to Egypt. We have the promised land in front of us. Our God parts the Red Seas. Amen. Our God is a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. I don't need to go and consult the world for these things. Now, I thank God for the wisdom that it brings and it helps people, but I'm telling you, there's a help that can get you out of need and help again. And that, that help comes from our great helper, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me just give this to you as an example. The world wants you to focus on yourself as your solution. Just like AA says, we can only say a higher power. They can't introduce you to God. So now their hands are tied from the very solution that you need. You need God. You don't need a generic higher power. You need God. So that's why it doesn't work the same. The same thing is with the counselor. The counselor wants you to do, you know, cognitive brain therapy, you know, CBT, to renew the mind. But what are they going to renew it to? The soap opera, the telenova that they have playing on in their offices? Come on, somebody. What do the doctors normally have playing on in their offices? Soap operas, at least the ones that I've gone to. So I'm coming here for help, and then what does help look like? Living like a telenova? Or the magazines that they have out. Have you ever seen what the counselors and doctors have out in their magazines? They have People magazine. They have this. Is that what they want to renew your mind to? Is Us Weekly? You see, when the renewing of the mind comes, it needs to be renewed to the words of God. The very one who spoke it and it happened. The words of God that are as a foundation that when a wise man builds their house upon them, when the storms come, the house remains. 
So the counselor just says, okay, when you have depressive thoughts, be remember, you know, remember your family, think of the reasons you have to live for, remind yourself of the optimistic future ahead. Yeah, but you talk to a nihilist. I would love for a counselor to counsel a depressed nihilist in their office, and we would see how bankrupt their counseling is. In other words, a nihilist doesn't believe in God and believes all things come back to nothing. Okay, does everybody track with me? That's a nihilist. A nihilist believes that when they die, they become nothing. And we came out of nothing, and somehow nothing explodes into something. Their contradictory position. Nietzsche was a nihilist. He said, famously, God was dead. Of course he wasn't, and he's dead now. But he said God is dead, and we don't know it, but we talk like it is. So he was saying, like, we talk like it, but we don't live like it. Nietzsche wrote some of the most depressing poems you'll ever read because he says, we, 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 we say we believe God is dead as a culture, but we really don't live like it because if God really was dead, we would all become mad and insane. So imagine a counselor counseling a nihilist. You have a lot to look forward to. No, I don't. I'm goo with chemicals in my brain that go back to the earth and dust. What do you mean you have a lot to look forward to? Well, your family. My family's just chemical bags of dust. Well, you get to have a future and a legacy. No, I don't. All of this earth is going to be heat death and destroyed by our sun or by an implosion. It doesn't go on forever. The Big Bang is going to come right back in on itself like an accordion. It's just going to come back and be destroyed. Everything will be gone. What does that counselor say now? Well, uh, you know what one counselor said? And I have it here in my book, uh, in my Kindle. He's a nihilist counselor. And you know what he said? Take drug, uh, it's, it's those serotonin drugs until they kick in and you stop thinking about those questions. Dr. Alex Rosenberg, the atheist guide to reality. So you see what I'm teaching you right now is not just pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's actually how we're supposed to live as Christians. It's supposed to make a difference of your everyday life. Christians know that though I face problems, I can see the problem solver come through, Jesus Christ. Even though I may feel weak, he can be strong. Even though sometimes I don't have the answer, I can trust that God does. Without knowing that, what are you going to hope in? The Bible says it's all meaningless. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what nihilism looks like in the ancient culture, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. Does he not say that many times? And what could Dr. Phil say back to him? Well, I guess you're right. Just take more psychotropic drugs until you feel better and you do something else. One atheist said to get my mind off of my nothingness that I'll become is I play chess. Well, good luck with that, dude, because that doesn't stop you becoming nothing. Well, I just play chess to get my mind off of it. No. Don't deny reality. We're eternal souls, and we don't turn into nothing. We are eternal souls that will either live an eternal life or eternal death. How many want eternal life? Now, going back to 1 John. What is the default? I'm not a sinner, and I'm not supposed to live in sin. Step one, I am not a sinner, and I'm not supposed to live in sin. Daryl, would you come, please? I want, to, I want some soft music playing in the background. I want you to get spiritual with this. Are you guys ready? Everybody go, logos. <laughs> in the beginning was the word, logos. We'll do some Gregorian chants. Are you ready? Half kid. Don't let the world tell you that they own meditation. We own it. It comes from our Bible. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. Everybody who's a Christian, just close your eyes. Take a deep breath with me. I was getting my blood pressure the other day, and I said, you're not giving me a high one. I'm going to relax. And she said, oh, man, I relax with you. We both relax. Come on. She said, I had perfect blood pressure. Hallelujah. 
Now in an attitude of prayer, if you believe it, say this with me. Because of Jesus, I am not a sinner. I am a saint. Sin is not my default. Righteousness is. Jesus became what I was, sin, that I might become what he is, righteous. Oh, isn't that good? Hallelujah. Put that in your morning cup of coffee and drink it. I am the righteousness of God. You ready for the next one? I'll give you five exercises here. Go to Second John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, 3, and 6 now. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Perfect is that same word there in the King James. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live just as Jesus did. Woo! Get a little Pentecostal shout there. Hallelujah. And then now we'll go back to meditating. We're going to go up and down in emotion. Come on, in the spirit of the Lord right now, say, I am in Jesus. I can do what he said I can do. I can live just like how he lived. I am in truth. I am in truth. Hallelujah. I know him. Woo! I know him. I live like him. And God's people said, amen. I know him. You just need to be able to say that over your life today. I know him. I know him. I know him. I met him November 5th, 1995, and I've been walking with him ever since. I know him. I know you, Jesus. I am in you today, Jesus. I would be lost without you, but I'm in you. I sense your presence in the morning. When I get up, God, you're there with me as I lie in my bed and I prepare for the day. Oh, Lord, you're there when I brush my teeth, see myself in the mirror. I see you working in me, Jesus. I know you. Oh, I'll bring you in my prayer closet right now. You guys want to join me in my prayer closet? Because this is not a game. I'm making it very, uh, you know, just relational and inviting to you. But, oh, it's not a game. God is so real. One of the benefits that I had coming to Jesus off of drugs, because it is wicked and sinful, but a benefit is that I knew how to be sensitive to my soul when I felt uncomfortable. Now, sadly, I self-medicated. But then as a Christian, I could recognize my soul's anguish. I was very in tune with it. The world calls this empathic. And you know what I realized is that there's no high like the most high. I just began making time with Jesus every day. You know, just, you know, just getting alone with the Lord, talking to him. And then I just would say back to him his words, just like it says here. Those who claim to live in him, live like him. And I would just say, Jesus, I'm living in you today. And you're living with me. And I want to be just like you. Would you help me? Be just like you with my family today. Help me be just like you when I go back to my job. The next one, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Another exercise of your meditation and as your prayer to the Lord. It talks about the great love the Father has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us? That we should be called the children of God? And that is what we are. Come on, Titus. Come on up here, boy. 
Come to your daddy's son. Let's give it up for Titus as he comes. I love you. Who do you think he looks like? Do you think he looks like the mailman, the milkman, the plumber, the pool boy? Who does he look like? He looks like his daddy. He looks just like his daddy. He's a child of a virostic, a virostic. That's his identity. He is a perfect virostic. If I was on Maury Povich doubting him being my child, Maury Povich would say, you are the father. Now, what does he do as he grows up? He learns to act like me. But his identity is already his. You're a Wyrostic. When we are born again, we are children of God. He is our father. But do we always act like it? No. Sometimes we do sin. But we have a forgiving Savior. But what does he want us to know? That he loves us. And I love you, little buddy. Let's give it up for Titus. Thank you. Ice cream after service. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Come on. I wish we could sing it. I don't remember the rest of it. Come on. Woo! I love that song. Thank you, sister. Would you come and stand by this mic? Because we're going to close out singing that. Amen. Let's give it up for our sister helping me. And that other part, oh, he is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath. There it is. It's coming back to me now. Wind and mercy. Woo, you're doing good, my brother. And all of a sudden, I'm aware of these afflictions, clips by glory. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great. Amen. We're going to stop it right here because i got to go back to this scripture. Okay, we're going to go back to it, but go to that scripture. You see how you just go from scripture to singing to praying? Reading to worshiping to praying. It always goes hand in hand. Read God's word, pray, and worship. Back and forth, one from one to the other. You see, you have to believe great is his love for me. Come on, just receive that before we sing it again. He loves me. He loves me. My Father loves me. I am lavished by the great love of God. I can't earn it, don't deserve it, but I have all that I need. There is no end to the depth, the width, or the height, or the breadth. God loves me, this I know. They asked a great theologian at the end of his life, what is the greatest thing you have learned from all of your years of study? He knew multiple languages. He had multiple degrees. And you know what the great theologian said? What he had learned, the greatest lesson out of all of his life of studying the Word of God? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That profound truth will set Muslims free today because they don't have an Allah that loves them like our Jesus. It will set free every Roman Catholic. My friends right now is preaching in Poland to the people coming across the border from the Ukraine, and he's preaching to them the love of God more than what they've ever seen in the Orthodox or the Roman Catholic Church. There is a great love of God, and it will set all of us free. Amen? 
And he says, uh, and that is what we are. You know, that's what we are. He's reminding him, that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. What will we be in the next age? We're still God's creatures. We do not become God. But this is where now people uh, theorize that we get so engrafted into God that we become like him in all ways and that he expands his power across the universe through us and in us. Wouldn't that be something? They call it aliens. We call it the glorified saints of God. We will rule and reign with Christ. He's still being our God. We don't become Mormons, believe we become God. But there's a next level. We don't just stay as children. It looks like we may become co-heirs with him and partners. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. One more time. Come on, close your eyes and say, I am pure as he is pure. I will see him one day and receive a body like his body. Until then, I will live like him. I will be holy like he is holy. I will use his love as power to overcome every temptation, every hindrance. The fuel of love will keep me holy. Woo! In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Woo! The fuel of love. <laughs> Glory to God. I just got that. I just, that's a, that was a download for me. Wait till, wait till I write on that, the fuel of love. John Wesley Preach just like we did. The holiness or hell message and all of these wonderful truths that you need Jesus for a second life. If you don't, you get a second death. But you know what he taught? He also taught perfection in Christ and holiness. And you know what he always focused on in that message was the love of God. And I pray that I can do that as, as well because our vision, loving God, loving people, that's the greatest thing among us. And I want you to always remember that. It's not just the ideals of holiness. As I go through these confessions and things, it's not just even there a obedience to that. Well, I'm not trying to be obedient to good works to be saved, but I'm going to be obedient to my confessions now so I can be at peace. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than just changing the doer, but, uh, you know, the doer program here. Because you're still do, 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 do. You're still doing a bunch of stuff, right? And it becomes like do, do. Love is what keeps us going down the do, 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 do road. Even just with these confessions. Well, I didn't meditate today. I didn't do the logos. I'm, oh, I'm behind because the kids are driving me crazy and I don't feel God's presence like I did that day. You, you, you'll get lost. I'm telling you, even in this, you can get lost because it always comes back down to the love. It always comes back that that's what you are. That's what you are. Even if you don't feel like it tomorrow, that's what you are. That doesn't give us permission to be crazy people in the world and be like, well, I'm king's kid and I can act however I want. God have mercy. I hear that all the time from those who work in the service industry. And they would say that church members coming on Sundays are the worst. Demanding, not tipping. They forgot who they were didn't they? They forgot who they were. 
No, you are to remember who you are even when you don't feel like it. Even if somebody double parked today in the parking lot, even if someone fender bends you on the way home, even if today you get the worst news possible, I'm not trying to speak negative. I'm just saying, like, you, you don't go based on your feelings. And, and did I meditate enough today? Because if I didn't, I don't know if I can do it. No, just step into those situations going, this is who I am. I am loved by God. I am like Jesus and I will be pure in here. And if, if, you know, you get convicted for not being pure, then just say, I'm sorry, I didn't act like I was supposed to. I forgot who I was. That's a good thing to remember is who you are. And if you ever forget, let, let God remind you. Amen? One more in closing. This is it. Thank you for your patience. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and onward. 1 John chapter 5, 1 and onward. says, everyone. Somebody say, everyone. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is born of God. It doesn't matter if you're the thief on the cross and you just get it right before you die or if you've been born and raised in church and you're here today as a senior saint. All of us get the same rebirth. Praise God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So you can't say you love God like some Muslims or other religions do and not love Jesus. You have to serve Jesus as the Messiah. You can't just have a vague God of nature out there. This is how we know. Somebody say, we know. Amen. This is how we know that we love the children of God. We're good to our brothers and sisters by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, everybody say, in fact. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Now watch this and highlight this, please, for me, brother. You guys are doing great. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We got a bunch of good ones there, don't we? One more time before we go. Say this with me. I believe in Jesus. Therefore, I overcome the world. I have faith today as an overcomer to keep all of God's commands. None of them are a burden. They're the joy of my heart. Woo! Some of you need to go back and read Psalm 119, the longest psalm or song in the Bible. Sings about the beauty of keeping God's commands. Being free from lust, that's not a burden. Going to hell with lust, that's the burden. Hallelujah. I'm free from that burden. Watching my mouth, the words that come forth, that's not a burden. It's a burden talking however I used to talk, cursing God's image bearers. That's a burden. It's not a burden to forgive my enemies. That's a blessing. It's a burden to carry bitterness in the soul. It's poison. It's not a burden to be who God called me to be. I'm feeling it right now. I'm getting, whew, I'm getting some downloads right now. It's not a burden to pastor. It's not a burden to be a father of six. It's not a burden to be a husband. It's a joy. It's a joy. I love you, Jesus. This is the dream life. It doesn't always go my way, but I would rather go through bad days with you than good days without you. See, some of you got to go back into your past to remember how much of a miserable sinner you were. 
Sometimes uh, the devil, he'll come and he'll say, oh, you remember you were happier then. You could watch whatever you wanted to watch. You could talk however you wanted to talk. Now you got to watch everything and be careful. Oh, it's such a bondage. No, you remind that devil. Every time he tries to tell you of good days of the past, you remind him of where it led you. And how he lets you go down, really down to dark, deep holes of darkness and then remind him of his future and where you're going to be with Jesus. Because the devil, he always tells you about that one night stand or that, that one time it was fun getting drunk. But he doesn't tell you about that time you were in that car with that drunk driver and you almost died. He doesn't tell you about that time you could have got that drug and it could have been laced and you never would have woke up. He doesn't remind you how this close to hell you were all those different times and how you had to see three therapists Come on, somebody. Don't let him try to bring you back into the bondage of sin, telling you how burdensome it is to serve God. He's just jealous of you. He's jealous of you because he doesn't get a second chance. He blew it. You get to be forgiven of your sin and get to still be with Jesus. Hallelujah. You get to have a testimony of the redemption and the love of God. You remind him about how he always lets you down, but Jesus has never let you down. You remind him that he's always been a liar, but Jesus has been the truth. You remind him that he did nothing for you but led you into bondage, but Jesus set your soul free. Woo! Hallelujah! I receive that today because living for God is never a burden. Even though your body gets tired, and you feel like you've read the same story over and over again. And even though you feel like you have nothing to pray about, go back to Jesus and say, I believe that I'm born of you and that your nature is in me. And deep is calling out to deep. And it's not a burden. And I shall overcome. Every temptation you shall overcome. It says it in the Lord's Prayer. And deliver me. From every, uh, you know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Amen? Every evil you'll be delivered out of in Jesus' name. He's batting a hundred today, saints. He sinks every three-pointer that he shoots in your life. He'll never let you down. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus as we stand up today. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Come on up here, altar workers. We're going to close out in that beautiful worship song band as well, uh, joining us up here. I think there's a part three, so come back next uh, week if you want to hear it. I'll talk to the Lord and see what more I can share. There's a few more things that maybe is, is still I can add to this, but I think we really got some good practical things to do. To know your identity. To speak it out over your life. To know that God made you to keep his commands. And so don't go back to the world today the same way you came to church. You go, with the, you go with church in your heart out to the world and change the world. Amen? Can I get an amen? You're about ready to step out there where temptation is real. You bring, you bring what you got in your heart out there today. Show them what God did for you, man. Do it on your job as much as you can and as, as you're allowed to at school, young people in your marriages. Go to life groups as well during the week. Amen. Keep building your faith because these are not empty words and promises. This will change your life. I know you were preaching with me, preacher. Would you give us a good preaching prayer at the end and then we'll dismiss? Amen. Hallelujah, God. We thank you for today, God. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord God, that we're living a life worthy of the gospel, God. That we're living holy, God. 
that we're living pure, Lord God, that we're living righteous for your name, God. God, we thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to live holy because of what you did on the cross for us, Lord God. Because you said, because you set us free, Lord God, we're able to live holy, God. Because you set us free, Lord God, we're able to preach the gospel, God. Because you set us free, God, we're able to live a life worthy of the gospel, God. Holy Spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus that we'll get healed and live this out, God. That we will live a life as an example of Christ, Lord God, that we will live in Him, we will walk with Him, that we will talk with you, Jesus, that we will tell others about your love, your mercy, and grace, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will have your way with us, Lord. Lead us, guide us, pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord God. We need you, God. We don't need ourselves, God. We need more of you and less of us, God. We need more of you and less of us, God. Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord. Have your way, God. Have your way, God. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. And people leave us. It's okay because we're being left by you, Jesus. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You are dismissed, saints. Have a wonderful week. Please come up for prayer or worship as long as you like. Thank you for coming today. God bless you. Oh.